<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. is the Tom Hartman Program. The Ginny Thomas scandal seems to have died down in the media, but we're learning more and more about this on an ongoing basis. And I think this is something that, uh, you know, we need to continue to pay some attention to. I mean, the, the Supreme Court, these guys have more power than pretty much anybody else in Washington, D.C., when you think about it. The ability to strike down laws or to create laws, basically from whole cloth, as they have done on multiple occasions over the years. Uh, powers, by the way, that <laughs> you could argue were not given them by the Constitution. So, keeping track of some of this stuff, over at Documented.net is Brendan Fisher, our old buddy, the Deputy Executive Director of Documented, a lawyer with expertise in campaign finance and government transparency issues. Brendan, it's been way too long since you've been on the program. Great to have you back with us. Uh, should Democrats demand that Clarence Thomas be impeached? And what do we know about what Ginny Thomas is up to here. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of attention paid to the, the text messages that Ginny Thomas sent to then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, urging him to overturn the election. Um, you know, that alone was concerning enough, the fact that the wife of a Supreme Court justice has a direct line to the White House and is advocating for a coup um, when uh, cases involving the election very well could appear before her husband. But, but really, it goes deeper than that. It, it was not just the text messages. Uh, Ginny Thomas uh, was and uh, it apparently is on the board of CNP Action, uh, a group that actively uh, laid the groundwork for January 6th, actively tried to support uh, the coup. And we just put, we, we just put out a new resource uh, describing Thomas's role in CNP action, and also for the first time identifying some of the, the funders that bankrolled the group in 2020. Now, CNP, this is the Council for National Policy. And I, you know, and I'm, I'm fairly well informed on these things, but I didn't, I, it wasn't until I read, I'm thinking, I'm thinking it was Jane Mayer's book, Dark Money. I, might, I may be wrong, but, um, but you know, one of these really deep dive tell-alls about the, the, you know, the money in the, the right wingosphere that I learned that this is really one of the, the larger and quieter of the uh, and, and more powerful of the national right wing groups. That's right. Uh, so Council for National Policy or CNP has been around for decades. Um, it's very active starting in the 1980s. It's, it's a network of very influential 
very powerful conservative leaders, um, including uh, executives from groups like the Heritage Foundation, the National Rifle Association, uh, Leonard Leo. Uh, Leonard Leo is a member, um, as well as a number of other you know, powerful, powerful players, some of whom um, were involved in the planning for January 6th, like Jenny Beth Martin from Tea Party Patriots. Uh, but it's been around for a long time. In the 1980s, uh, you can look back at their archives. They would host uh, death squad leaders from countries like El Salvador. Uh, they played a big role in the Reagan administration. And although they originally um, were opposed Trump, they did end up playing a pretty big role in the Trump administration. Um, and you know, Jeannie Thomas has been a part of CNP since at least 2012, and she joined the board of CNP Action, uh, the 501c4 arm of CNP in, 20, in 2019. So what, what do we know about Ginny Thomas and her affiliation with CNP or CNP Action that should cause us concern? Yeah, so there's a, there, I think there's two layers here. Um, so one is uh, Ginny Thomas is a, a major player in CNP and a number of individuals um, and organizations associated with CNP have interests before her husband, have interests before the court. Um, and that can contribute to questions about conflicts of interest facing Clarence Thomas, Ginny Thomas's husband. Um, and then the other layer uh, is the role that CNP and CNP action played uh, in supporting Trump's coup, in laying the groundwork for um, unfounded conspiracy theories about the election being stolen, advocating for state legislatures to reject Biden's win and appoint Trump electors and advocating for the Senate uh, to only count Trump electors, even, even from states uh, that Biden won. So, you know, Ginny Thomas, uh, Ginny Thomas's role in CNP, uh, you know, presents some serious concerns uh, for her husband, Clarence Thomas, especially because you know, some of these cases uh, involving challenges to the election of 2020 and uh, January 6th investigation have appeared before him. You know, you've got kind of the, the, the blue collar end of the Republican Party, you know, the, like the people who showed up on January 6th to trash the Capitol building. And, and then you've got the super white collar I always thought, you know, the, 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 the lawyers and the politicians and the, you know, the, and the people behind the scenes, the billionaires who are funding these things and pulling the strings. And I had always thought of the Council on National Policy as being kind of the, the creme de la creme, the, the white collar of the white collar in the conservative movement, you know, going back to the 80s. And yet you're telling me that, I mean, this, this bizarre theory that John Eastman came up with um, and uh, I, I actually, uh, you know, wrote an op-ed uh, almost a year before uh, it was in April, March or April of 2020 saying this is what Trump will probably try to do. And, and I was basing it on what happened in 1876, the election of 1876. And sure enough, this is what John Eastman's, you know, came up with. I, you know, I, I, I doubt he read my article. It, it wasn't a secret what happened in 1876. But it is still a really, really sketchy legal theory, you know, to say that we can simply, you know, states can submit multiple batches of electors and the vice president can choose which one he wants to honor. And, and uh, I'm, I'm just astonished that the Council for National Policy was behind that. I mean, was this, 
was this something, was this a decision to, to, to do this or to endorse this or support this that, that really was made by the group? Or was this just a few people in CNP or CNP action like Jenny Thomas who were you know, playing cowboy here with this? Yeah, it's a great question. And we don't know, uh, we don't know is the short answer. Um, mm. What we do know is early in 2020, in February of 2020, uh, CNP hosted, uh, hosted a, a conference where they had people like uh, Catherine Engelbrecht from True the Vote and Hans von Spakovsky uh, from the Heritage Foundation predicting fraud in the 2020 election well before a single vote had even been cast. Mm. Um, and you had uh, the CEO of the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC, uh, raising questions about how state legislators uh, can contest the election results. Um, so the groundwork uh, for uh, advancing baseless claims of fraud and involving state legislators in challenging the election results was certainly being laid at CNP in early 2020. Um, but then immediately after the election, uh, November 11th, just a few days uh, after the, the 2020 presidential election, CNP Action hosted uh, another panel event, um, including people like Clayta Mitchell, who at that time appears to have been on Trump's, uh, Trump's election team, uh, Trump's legal team to challenge the election results. And there uh, they discussed uh, reaching out to state legislators and urging them to effectively reject the results of the election. Um, and they doubled down on that, on that, uh, on that theory uh, a few weeks later uh, with a long report uh, backing up Trump's baseless claims of election fraud and claiming that that gave state legislators the, uh, the, the ability uh, to reject the results of voters and uh, appoint Trump electors instead of the Biden electors who voters had actually selected. Um, so we don't know how much in advance of November 2020 CNP was laying the ground, CNP as an organization uh, was laying the groundwork for uh, the, the, the coup theories that were advanced by people like John Eastman. Um, but we certainly know that immediately after the election and the days after the election, uh, CNP and CNP action uh, were, were actively advancing these theories. And also, more importantly, uh, were enlisting the support of CNP's powerful members uh, to pressure state lawmakers and to pressure members of Congress uh, to, support, to support this coup. We're talking with Brendan Fisher, the deputy executive director for Documented.net and uh, a lawyer with expertise in campaign finance and government transparency issues. Uh, Brendan, uh, kind of last question here. I mean, how unique was CNP among the universe of right-wing, you know, well-known, legitimate conservative organizations, you know, Heritage and Cato and, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. How unique was CNP in promoting or going along with this, uh, with this coup idea, this, uh, you know, Eastman's idea? Were they alone in that or was this widespread across the right-wingosphere? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and, you know, CNP was one among many uh, that was supporting, supporting, the, supporting Trump's coup and supporting these ideas that state lawmakers and Congress could overturn the results of the election. Um, mm. but, but I think what was so most notable about it is that CNP is such a, a powerful and, you know, largely establishment-aligned institution. Right. Um, this was not... Uh, 
uh, one of the fringy Michael Flynn, uh, Patrick Byrne funded, Mike Lindell, Mike Lindell uh, uh, crazy nonprofits, uh, CNP is a very well-funded, uh, very powerful, well-established group in Washington, D.C., and the fact that they were getting behind these fringe conspiracy theories, you know, really tells us a lot about where about where the conservative movement is at right now. This was an attempt to overthrow the government of the United States, to overturn an election that 60 different courts had looked at and said, no, this, everything is solid here. It's almost an embrace of some kind of fascism or something. I mean, I'm frankly surprised that they would do this. Final thoughts? I invite people to visit our website, documented.net, uh, and read the, the resource that we just put out uh, on CNP Action and its efforts around the 2020 election. Um, it includes a list of the funders to the group in 2020, which, which include people like Leonard Leo, as well as other powerful figures in the conservative movement. Yeah, it's well worth checking out. Documented.net is the website. Brennan Fisher, the Deputy Executive Director. Brennan, thanks a lot for dropping by. All right, thanks for having me. Always great talking with you. I love it when Democrats take on Republicans with some righteous indignation. Uh, on Wednesday of this week, in the Missouri State Legislature, Missouri Republican uh, Representative Chuck ba Bassey, I'm, I'm assuming it's pronounced B-A-S-Y-E, uh, Representative Chuck Bassey proposed legislation that would make it even harder to vote. It tightened up the uh, voter ID requirements. But attached to that bill was a piece of anti-trans language that would basically allow schools to decide uh, for trans kids uh, whether or not they could participate in sports and which sports and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it was just basically trans bashing, gay bashing. And a Democrat by the name of Ian Mackey stood up and started asking this Republican, Chuck Bassey, about something that he had, that the two of them had talked about last year, and then explained why he's not, shall we say, enthusiastic about hanging out with these Republicans. And it's just a, a precious, brilliant, beautiful, uh, heartfelt uh, Congressman or Representative Ian Mackey, by the way, the Democrat who you are going to hear speaking here, is himself gay and out. And uh, so just listen. It's a two-minute clip, but it's well worth checking out. Listen to this. This is amazing. Do you remember your remarks on the floor last year when you brought this up? Um, it would, you'd have to give me a specific. I mean, I made a lot of remarks last sure. year. So I recall a story you told about your brother. Okay. And I remember you said that your brother called, or that your mother called you, I believe, to tell you that your brother had some news that he was afraid to tell you. Okay. And your brother wanted to tell you that he was gay, didn't he? Um, he was uh, expressing that to the family, and he thought that, uh, that we would hold that against him and not let my children be around him. Why do you think he thought that? I, I don't know. I, it, uh, it never would have happened, I'll tell you that. My, uh, my, my kids at that, that point in their life adored my, uh, my brother. 
Can I tell you, if I were your brother, I would have been afraid to tell you too. Well, I'm sorry. I would have been afraid to tell you too because of stuff like this. Because this is what you're focused on. This is the legislation you want to put forward. This is what consumes your time. I would have been afraid to tell you too. I was afraid of people like you growing up, and I grew up in Hickory County, Missouri. I grew up in a school district that would vote tomorrow to put this in place. And for 18 years, I walked around with nice people like you who took me to ball games, who told me how smart I was, and who went to the ballot and voted for crap like this. And I couldn't wait to get out. I couldn't wait to move to a part of our state that would reject this stuff in a minute. I couldn't wait. And thank God I made it. Thank God I made it out. And I think every day of the kids who are still there, who haven't made it out, who haven't escaped from this kind of bigotry. Gentlemen, I'm not afraid of you anymore because you're gonna lose. You may win this today, but you're going to lose. And that's the arc of American history here. As far as I can tell, the bill has passed, or at least has, has moved forward. We'll see, it was, it was one vote short on that day, and I'm not, I've been looking for the details on what happened as a consequence of that speech. Ian Mackey, you're one of my heroes here. I just went to Ian Mackey's website, in fact, Twitter. Ian Mack, I-A-N-M-A-C-K, 03007724. And, and, uh, and retweeted it. It's actually the House, the Missouri House Democratic Caucus that tweeted the original piece, and I just followed them as well. And I just wanted to share a story with you that, that is apropos of that. Ben Ashlock is a guy who owns a restaurant a Colton State House and Grill restaurant. He's 41 years old. He had adopted when uh, he and his wife of 19 years, Darcy, had adopted a 16-year-old, one of their 13 children. They have eight biological and five adopted kids. Big family. And so when the Russian military attacked Ukraine, they put a yellow and blue flag in front of their restaurant, in front of their Colton Steakhouse and Grill. This is in the Washington Post, by the way. A restaurant manager flew the Ukrainian flag. Hateful messages followed by Jonathan Edwards. He got a call from a guy who, who said, just letting him know, he called it the, uh, the fateful Saturday. This was uh, April 9th. This was uh, last Saturday. On his Facebook page, there was a me it wasn't a call. It was a Facebook message that said, my family eats at Colton Steakhouse, but will not eat there again until the Ukrainian flag is replaced with our national flag. Keep in mind, this is, this is like... In my opinion, Russian troll-inspired hate, and I think that this is one of the stories that we don't talk about enough, is the Russian troll-inspired hate that you find on Twitter and Facebook, in particular, and across social media. His employees soon started noticing Facebook users swarming the restaurant's page to tar workers as disrespectful and unpatriotic. Then the phone started ringing. Ashlock took for the first call, a man asking why he took the flag down. He hadn't taken down a U.S. flag and replaced it with a Ukrainian flag. He's flying both. But this is the story that the haters put on Facebook. He explained what happened, handed the phone to an employee because he had to go serve a customer. But the phone kept ringing. At one point, one of the restaurant's hosts came to him crying. I felt horrible, he said. One, said, one of the callers said, take that trash flag down. May Ukraine be leveled to the ground. 
Another said, I hope that Ukrainian flag is gone. I prefer my steak without a side of Nazis. This was, uh, actually, this was on Facebook. Over on Google, someone left a one-star review that said, food tasted woke, management is a warmonger. This is a steakhouse in the middle of Kentucky. He's still flying the Ukrainian flag, but, you know, this is how hate works in the United States. And we need to be pushing back on it. We need to be telling the truth about, about what this is and how it's, how it's playing out and the kind of damage it's doing to our country. The kind of, these are terror tactics. Let's be very clear about this. Back, you know, in, in 1932, when Hitler was first coming to power at 33 in Germany, radio stations around the country invited people to call in and name their neighbors who were making unpatriotic anti-Hitler statements. This is how it starts. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Michael in Bangor, Maine. Hey, Michael, how's our reasonable conservative doing today? (laughs) Good day, Tom. As a conservative, my concern about free speech or any type of law that might infringe on free speech uh, is probably worse cure than the disease itself uh, because it's going to become selective. There's no way that you're going to have some uniform group of, you know, angels out there who are going to use that kind of law in a reasonable, rational way. And I would also say as a phrase in the law that if you already have a law that addresses the problem, you don't need another, which is something that uh, is a good, reasonable argument when we talk about gun control. For the most part, because we have so many laws that are not enforced. So uh, what I would say is it becomes almost a fascist notion to say that we have to regulate speech that's political, even if it is violent. But you have violent 
uh, you know, anti-violent laws out there. Right. It's more. Yeah, it's I, I more made that notion. point, Michael, and and I, uh, you know, I'm I'm more inclined to be with you than with those who are calling for you know blanket prohibitions on speech or instant censorship of the internet or whatever. But I am troubled by this explosion of political hate, not just speech, but activity. And I'm wondering if you have a solution to it. What I think needs to happen, and there's no way to force this in a constitutional way, but it seems to me that what we have to do is instead of becoming more divergent and, how should I say, violent in our political thinking, we need to try to start individually working to get to a center with other people. That's the mechanism. And But what I'm concerned about is that there are two types of orthodoxies at play in the United States now. There's the secular orthodoxy that believes in government. That's, that's what's going to solve all problems. And then you have the theocracy, uh, the movement that God is going to make things. These two things cannot work together. That, to me, is the real problem, is the, uh, the counter between these two orthodoxies. And unless people start saying, let's be practical, let's be pragmatic here, instead of being ideological on both sides, you're going to get this emotional violence. I am very concerned about the proponents of theocracy. Leonard Leo, the head of the Federalist Society, is one of the bigger ones. And then Jeff Charlotte has outed, you know, the family and all these other guys. And it seems like it's more readily embraced. In fact, it's, it, it is aggressively being embraced by the Republican Party and by conservatives is viewed with some suspicion by progressives. If you're concerned about that, are you doing something about that in your own conservative movement or, or Republican Party? Because well, that yeah, seems to be well, where it's living. Yeah, I think it's a mistake for you to assume that all conservatives, and maybe you're not saying this, but a true conservative is not a theocrat. Of we, course. We abhor, that. we abhor that notion. Of course, but, so, but tell that to Josh Hawley. Tell that to Tom Cotton. Tell that to Ted Cruz. Tell that to Donald Trump. All of these guys are exploiting religion. Tell that, tell that to Ralph Reed. Tell that to Jerry Falwell Jr. or Franklin Graham. All of these guys are using religion nakedly, aggressively, enthusiastically, proudly using religion to pitch Republican politics. Well, I'm not going to argue with you, but... So what are you going to do about it? Within the party, I tell people all the time that we can't let theocracy rule social policy in the conservative... You talk to people. I'm not going to put them in jail because they do that. Well, I'm not suggesting that. I, I think our conversation has moved on from, you know, whether we should have hate laws that have to do with politics to... So what do we do about theocracy? Um, how, if, if, if we were back in the 60s and SDS was still blowing up buildings and, and, and going after people, don't, how, how, would the left, how would the right be responding? I mean, I remember how they responded in the 60s. It was, you know, death penalty. Well, I mean, it's the same way that I reacted to um, Antifa taking over your town. Uh, uh, Antifa never took over Portland. <laughs> it's, and Antifa is not even a movement. There's no leaders. There's no organization. There's no place you can call. It just means anti-fascist. Okay. 
you can say that they're anti-fascist, but their movement was fascist in the sense that they, I mean, I don't. Well, there were, you, you know, I'll give you this. Michael, here comes that break that I couldn't stop. I will give you that there were people smashing windows in Portland and that those people who claim to be on the left are actually fascists. I'll give you that. I, I agree with that. And, and that okay. they should suffer a, a penalty for that. But they do not reflect the sentiments of the people who are the true anti-fascists, which is 99% of the, of the protesters who are out there saying, we want fascism to end. Michael, I got to run, but thank you for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Although that distinction is entirely lacking at Fox News and across right-wing hate radio. Entirely lacking. Jessica Valenti is uh, blogging over at uh, jessica.substack.com. Tennessee last, yesterday became the first state in the nation to legally end all abortions. No abortions will happen in, excuse me, Kentucky. No abortions will happen in, in the state that Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul run or represent in the U.S. Senate. Jessica Valenti notes, in Missouri, a Republican lawmaker has proposed an anti-abortion bill that would make it illegal to end ectopic pregnancies. This is uh, Representative Brian Seitz. Uh, Ectopic pregnancies usually kill women. They never produce a baby. This is when the baby, or this is when the uh, fertilized egg is outside the fallopian tube somehow. Um, You know, it doesn't make it into the uterus but continues to grow. Uh, She notes that Republicans have created multiple, and this this applies to Kentucky, abortion bans with no exception for the life and health of the the pregnant person and push laws uh, that we know from our own country's history and other countries' current reality that kill people. She says, I'm so tired of these people giving the benefit of the doubt. Of course they want the women to die. They can read statistics. They've carefully crafted laws that give us less rights than a zygote in a country where pregnancy is 20 times more likely to kill you than skydiving. She writes, to the politicians pushing anti-choice laws, women dying isn't collateral damage, it's their job. They believe that if we were real mothers and real women, we'd give up anything for pregnancy, give up our education, give up our finances, give up our safety, give up our health, even give up our lives. It's a belief so strong they've enshrined it in law. So why mince words? Why call abortion rights a difference of opinion or an issue that's up for debate? This is about a group of people who believe women exist to give birth. And that anything we do that deviates from that expectation makes us unnatural and ultimately expendable. So no, it's not an exaggeration, she writes, to say that the people who create these laws want us dead. They know that their policies They know what their policies have done and will do. And we know what they really think of women. That's why when feminists fight to make sure abortion remains legal and accessible, we're not just fighting for choice or our rights or our bodies. We are fighting for our lives. Uh, uh, Along a similar vein, there was a piece posted yesterday on Democratic Underground that said, so Republicans, to all Republicans who insist on banning abortion because it, quote, kills innocent humans, end quote, so do chemical spills in our water. So do gun rampages in our malls and at our schools. So does starvation, because mothers can't earn a living wage, even working 60-hour weeks. So do curable diseases when parents have no access to affordable health care, as is the case with 70 million Americans. 
And yet, while you sanctimoniously stick your nose in my family planning choices, you have smugly opposed every attempt at safety regulations, gun control, raising the minimum wage, and the Affordable Care Act. You are the worst kind of hypocrites, arrogant and ignorant, and you are what is wrong with America today. Spot on. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Norma, what's on your mind today? Managed to catch Monday's show and the opening when you were talking about naturalizing, nationalizing our um, resources. Mm-hmm. Well, most people in Alabama here are unaware of the fact that Alabama owns oil leases in our share of the Gulf, which are, belong to Exxon. This started, I think, back in the 60s. And so for over 50 years, we have received what a lot of people refer to as pennies on the barrel. And the money goes into what's called a rainy day fund. We people who live and work in the state of Alabama, many born here, I wasn't, and have never received a single penny the way they do in Alaska. Mm. That money is being saved. I don't know who's in charge of taking care of it for us since we're, you know, we're we're even too uh, incompetent to have a lottery here. We're not going to be allowed to vote on that again. And, but the money sits there, and they did use some of it during the recession, and then we had to put it all back. Mm-hmm. It is never included in the budget. Not a single penny has ever been used for education or any other program that would help the people. I don't know how it's invested or where it's invested, but somebody's taking care of it for us. Isn't that wonderful? It's it- almost $500 million. Yeah, which which is actually a fairly small amount of money. I mean, Alaska's permanent fund right now is either 50 or 80 billion dollars. I was on their website last weekend when I was writing that piece for Monday. And yeah. and their website is just remarkable, by the way. It's it, you know, they go through the whole history of it and the explanation and where the money goes and everything. And they got graphics yeah, and stuff. So Are we paying somebody to take care of it? Is that why it has oh, I, not increased? I, yeah, in all probability, yeah, it's probably Citibank or some other bank that is paying off your legislators there in Alabama. But what, what strikes me, Norma, from the story that you're telling is that this is a movement ripe for beginning. You know, Alabama, let's become like Alaska and have a permanent fund. We've got offshore oil leases just like Alaska does. Instead of taking, you know, three cents on the barrel, you'd have to find out how much you're getting. Instead of taking three cents on the barrel, let's take $3 on the barrel. Instead of having $500 million, let's have $50 billion. Instead of having this money just sit around so that Congress can use it for a rainy day fund or for the state legislature, why don't we have it kicked back to the, you know, the citizens of the state? Why don't we do like Alaska does and have, you know, I mean, this is a, a guaranteed minimum income. Uh, you know, Alabama could be a leader in this if you actually but, have those mineral rights. Yeah, but, you know, all of this was set up during civil rights. And so, of course, you can't let everybody have any money. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's why I'm saying the movement would be to basically seize control of this to, to, or reinvent it altogether. And yeah, well, it's, it's like the fun that when they stopped building I-85, you know, it comes out of Atlanta and, get, and stops here in Montgomery. You know, it goes all the way up to through Virginia. But it, when they stopped building I-85, it was during the civil rights. And they set aside $500 million again to finish I-85 going to Meridian or anyway joining up with uh, 59. Mm-hmm. That has never happened because... 
um, it was just such a bad time to continue to work that way and push the interstate through. So that money has been sitting there also for 50 years. Remarkable. And Yes, remarkable. Like I said, most, Ameri- most Alabamians don't know this, just like they don't know about the Public Service Commission. They don't know that those people who come up for election every two years, they serve a six-year term. So one of them is up for election every, every uh, election we have. Right, so just and they, like the Senate. Yeah, and so they don't even know that we could actually get rid of these people. And, you know, why have taxis and Ubers and dump trucks and tractor-trailers authorized under the Public Service Commission as the Department of Transportation. So, so Norma, where's the Democratic Party in Alabama and all this? I mean, this seems like, you know, just ripe pickings for the Democratic Party to say, hey, everybody in Alabama, how'd you like to get a $1,000 check every month? We can make that happen. Well, they're trying to put every black person in a, that has a, a large majority into, into Terry Sewell's district. Even I would go into her district. So it's cracking and, and packing, the, the, the gerrymandering that the Republicans are doing. Yes, yes. And so we, the, the, I, I'm not a, a Democrat. Of course, I'm not a Republican. I consider myself an independent. And I try to find people who have some brains and integrity to vote for, which is very hard in Alabama. Yeah. My representative, and I'm still a District 2, Barry Moore said yesterday that his mission is to stop the spending of Congress. We're going broke, and we've got to stop all this ridiculous, oh, radical spending. So he's in the pockets yeah. of the billionaires who don't want their taxes to go up. I get it. Norma, yes. th- Norma, thank you. It, it just it, it seems to me like you know, if somebody wanted to get inside the Democratic Party in Alabama, and, you know, with a, with a vision like Norma is describing, there's an opportunity here. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? Thanks for listening to X-Ray FM, by the way. Looking ahead to the midterms, I want us to remember those two Georgia Senate seats that we won against all odds um, if we need some inspiration for the midterms. You know, we never got to celebrate those um, those. Uh, Senate seat victories because the election, the Georgia election, runoff election was on uh, January 5th, 2021, the day before the uh, insurrection 
you know, the January 6th traitorous insurrection. Um, and although we didn't, you know, the, get BBB passed, um, thanks to Mansion Cinema, you know, without Senators Warnock and Ossoff, we never would have gotten the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Act. And I doubt uh, President Biden would have been able to get a progressive like Justice Brown Jackson confirmed. Mm-hmm. You know, those those uh, three Republicans that voted for her, I don't think they would have voted for, for her had we not had the leverage of having, uh, you know. I, it goes beyond that, Jeff. Mitch McConnell would not have held a hearing. Yeah, the just, yeah. the, the uh, Judiciary Committee would not have held a hearing. Yeah, so let, let, let's let's you know be thankful and inspired by those um, victories in Georgia, those Senate victories um, that made some good things happen, and we still have ways to go. Um, and speaking of you know the cost of living, I, I think it's time for President Biden to start channeling the anger FDR had for what he called the economic royalists of his time, you know, um, and that Robert Reich memo you mentioned earlier in the week, um, that's an excellent six-point prescription for just how to do it. You know, A, toughen the antitrust enforcement, B, uh, a temporary windfall profits tax, C, higher taxes on the wealthy and corporations, D, ban on corporate buybacks, E, stronger unions, and and, uh, F, money out of politics. Um, So, Tom, don't you think the same forcefulness that and moral clarity that the president's showing towards Putin, he should, he can and should apply that to t- today's American roy- economic royalists. What do you think? I agree. I would love to see FDR start. Chan- or, excuse me. I would love to see Joe Biden start channeling FDR. Um, I'm I'm absolutely with you. And I think we're going to need him to. I mean, you know, the the number one issue, I think I saw a poll, you know, like by a long shot is cost of living. So yeah. he, he really is going to need to counteract, um, you know, the perception. Um, uh, FDR that, was a populist and and, you know, populism is coming is making a serious comeback on the left and the right. I mean, Donald Trump was a populist, too. And Joe Biden needs to become a full blown populist. Yeah. And your and your Hartman report from earlier this week, uh, you know, lays that out really well. So, you know, people should check that out for sure. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. Thanks for the call. It's, uh, you know, spot on. And thanks for the for the tip on uh, quietcleanpdx.org. I just went to the website. I'm going to sign up. Jeff, thanks a lot. Uh, awesome. Thanks, great, Tom. Great talking to you. Ron in Jessup, Georgia. Hey, Ron, what's on your mind today? There's a guy that I watch, well, a lot of people, like 700,000 followers uh, in, uh, to this guy. He's on Facebook and YouTube, and mm-hmm. he has a thing. He goes by Bo, the fifth column. And I was watching one of his shows today, and he was uh, he just was relaying some information from the Air Force. They've sent out these messages. Um, they're responding to the LGBT laws that are coming up in Florida and Texas, et cetera. And uh, they've told their personnel, if you feel threatened by being on that base, that we will move you. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I saw that. The Air Force is the only branch of the service that has done it so far. Um, But I'm expecting, you know, the Navy is generally pretty gay friendly, too. I'm expecting them to pick it up. But back to you, Ron. Sorry. I figured it would would move through the the forces, different ones. You know, I heard the Air Force, their uh, Space Force is also involved now. They're... They're, they're picking up on it. And what, what he was uh, talking about, um, which I hadn't thought about, was the ramifications of what happens if the Air Force decides that um, we've had to move several key people from this base because of your laws. 
Um, and this base just really isn't that important anymore. Oh, I'd love to uh, see Lackland know? Air Force Base moved out of moved out of Texas. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what he was implying. That's but, that's uh, the Air Force's main Air basic training center. Yeah, another big one is what Elgin, I think, in in uh, in Florida. Uh huh. But, um, be impossible probably to move that because of its size and. Well, that's interesting, Rob. Ron. So you're you're positive, and I guess the Coast Guard is probably going to get you know the two the two branches that are probably going to be the last would be the the uh, Army and the Marine Corps. But um, so are you positing that this is uh, not just a you know a small gesture toward LGBTQ people in the service, but rather the beginning of a larger uh, pushback against these state laws? Well, uh, are you hoping? I'm hoping, but listen, since I'm a liberal and I'm, I'm not gay, but, you know, everybody has rights, period. Right, you we're know? allies. But, uh, this guy, Bo, the fifth column, he's, he's very, uh, he's a, like, what you call electronic journalist. He's taught police, he's taught military. He's very, very on the ball. With this is the guy with the real thick Georgia accent? Uh, he's from Florida. I don't know if he's from or Georgia, Florida. but he lives in Florida. Yeah. He's, got a, he's got a full beard. Uh, yeah. His it's, it's, thing is called Bo, the fifth column. Yeah, I've seen it's it. easy to find. But, I've seen it. I've seen a, it. He's he good. Research, you know, and uh, typically when he says something, um, it's it's right on. I've researched things that he said. I've never been able to find something where he made a mistake. Although I'm sure he's not perfect. Yeah. But um, I know he does have connections with the police. He's trained them. He's talked about it. Um, yeah. And he's got connections in the military. So um, he he seems to be able to get in and talk to people. Uh, and he's a journalist, besides, so he, he yeah. has those no, I got it. You know. Ron, I, got, I want to get a few more callers in here before the end of the hour, but yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I'll check it out. Arthur in Dady, Florida. Hey, Arthur, what's up? I want to talk about Senator Rick Scott. And yes. He's uh, proposed the legislation to uh, put Medicare and Social and Social Security and Medicaid on an, uh, a, uh, uh, a plan to uh, have them voted on uh, every five years, right? This is a this is a guy that stole millions of dollars from the Hospital Corporation of America uh, on, uh, re regarding Medicare fraud, and uh, he is the worst senator and the worst governor that Florida has ever ever experienced. Wow. And I'll tell you what, I think the the uh, uh, any Republican that supports this legislation is going to be putting themselves in a very serious uh, danger of not being reelected because these programs are not only very popular amongst Democrats, they're very popular amongst Republicans and the population at large. Yeah, the, the Republicans love their socialism when it's Medicare and Social Security and they're over 65, but uh, otherwise they're just like hating on it. Um, do, do you, and, and I agree with you, Arthur, and, and so does Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell has asked Rick Scott to keep it down. You know, don't talk about this so much because this is going to, you know, if people knew that this is what Republicans are really up to, which is raising taxes on 100 million Americans, the bottom half of America, and, and killing Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, uh, they won't vote for us. You know, it'll be a, it'll be a problem for us, uh, says Mitch McTurtle. Um, are you finding that any of your other Republican legislators down there in Florida are, are backing up Rick Scott, or are they running from him? I really don't know. I'm not too friendly with many Republican legislators. Yeah, so I'm you're not a, seeing anything solid, in the news about him. I'm a Democrat all my life, and uh, I support Democrats to the uh, 
end of the earth. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how many Republicans sign up for this. Uh, you know, it's uh, this is like this is this cycle's version of Mitt Romney's, you know, 47 percent uh, comments. And I yep. think it's I think it's going to bite him in the butt, like you said. Uh, we'll see. Right. Arthur, thank you for the call. And thanks for the info from Florida. Sarah in Fort Worth, Texas. Hey, Sarah, what's on your mind today? Hey, uh, well, I want to chime in on, on um, the, uh, the insane violence that these um, Trump supporters do. We were at our, um, you know, a little watering hole after work, and, and we literally just got there. Um, I went over to play some music, and they were speaking. And all I said, I didn't even address him. I said, oh, he's an idiot. And this guy turns around, backs me up into a corner, and says, I won't make it home because, you know, uh, he's, he's got a gun and he's going to... To the point where um, the bartenders were so... They called the police to escort us to our car. Whoa. Just because you said Trump was an idiot? Yep. Wow. So what's the lesson you take from that, sir? Um... You know, I, I'm not sure. I mean, do I keep my mouth shut or, or do I tell them how I'm feeling that, or how I, yeah. uh, my ideas on the subject and then run the possibility of, of being, and, and, and I will tell you that, that it's made me very wary about anything, because we've made, we've made no doubt we are, we are supporters of, um, you know, progressive, and, and um, so it makes me worry about our neighbors if they think it's any higher, that they're going to come, and, and, and plus I've got the whole abortion thing to deal with, too, because, yeah. um, and, and um, it, it, it's nuts here in Texas. It truly yeah. is nuts. Yeah, this is, this is you know, when, when a political party doesn't have um, anything to really offer people other than hate, um, it has it has passed through a doorway of some kind. It's it's you know that has closed behind it, and uh, I I you know we saw this. I mean you know none of us alive saw it, but the world saw this in in 1932 in Germany, um, in 1928 in Italy, you know, in, in exactly. right up until the 1970s in in Spain, and uh, it's very very hard to recover. Uh, for a political party or their followers to recover from having embraced the uh, hate that becomes open fascism, you know, open uh, the threat of physical violence as a way of accomplishing political ends. And it's a it's truly tragic. It truly is. Sarah, thank you for sharing that story. That's a thank you. Uh, I appreciate hearing from you. Greg in Athens, Georgia. Hey, Greg, what's up? Hey, uh, Tom, how you doing, man? I'm well. What's on your mind? Uh, I wanted to make a comment on the, uh, the the homeless in Tennessee. I'm a truck driver, and uh, mm -hmm. I run a lot of Tennessee. I don't think they got enough jails for all the homeless people, Tom. Yeah, that was my point. I, it, it seems like a crazy strategy, you know. I mean, it, I can tell you where I spotted right now in Chattanooga, but probably one block will fill up every jail they got. Really, it's that bad? Oh, oh, it's bad, man. It's it's, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's happening all over the country. Camp there, man. How I is think it? It's probably. Oh, excuse me. Go ahead. Well, I was just wondering how it was in Georgia, since you live in Athens, Georgia. Well, Athens is not as bad as Chattanooga. 
Yeah. I mean, we have a homeless problem, too, but it, right. it's not that bad. Not yeah. as bad as Tennessee. Yeah, it's pretty rough here in Portland. It's, I mean, you know, we we need a national approach to this. This is the, you know, this is what you get when you have just absolutely massive inequality and 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 uh, you know, people just homeless. I mean, it's just a terrible thing. Greg, thanks for the call and thanks for the <laughs> thanks for the, the insights into Chattanooga. Maybe that's why the guy went off on his Hitler rant, you know, because he basically had nothing else. It's like. When you ain't got nothing, then you turn to Adolf Hitler, I guess. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Democrats bring jobs, Republicans bring mobs. There's a bumper sticker for you. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Bob in Desert Hot Springs, California. Hey, Bob, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Hey, you're welcome, Tom. Uh, Two observations on Trump voters. Uh, one is, obviously, they're afraid of change. And the other one is, they believe what they hear, not what they investigate. And and the other thing I want to say is, the best bumper sticker I ever saw was one that free speech was offering when Trump was president. Uh, elect a clown, expect a circus. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And, in fact, that was a premium on our uh, on our uh, fundraisers there for a while. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, that was, that, that was the best. Uh, and and another observation, Tom, if I can ask you. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Do you? Okay, thank you. Do, do you think that Trump would have been able to try to pull off what he did if we would have had a popular vote system as opposed to an electoral system? One no. More reason to go for no, because the whole, the whole key to his strategy was to manipulate the electoral vote. He knew that he had lost by 7 million votes. He lost by 3 million votes the first time. And, you know, and this kind of amplifies why we really need to have a popular vote. You know, the president should be really? elected by the people. Right. That, that's one more reason to push for the popular vote. Yeah. Yeah. Nationalpopularvote.com, I think, is the website. But, uh, the, you know, yeah, it's. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, we need to get more states involved in this. So, yeah, it's a good one. You're right. Bob, thanks a lot for Thank the call. You, good to hear from you. Nelson in Oceano, California. Oh, uh, am I saying it right, Nelson? Yes, you are. Hey, what's up? Thanks for Oh, just uh, why no outrage over Yemen and the fact that we support a country who is uh, similarly atrocious to Russia and is slaughtering those people. I, my my uh, guess is the reason why, Nelson, is uh, actually there's probably a couple levels of it. But first of all, Trump actually supported that. And he was president when it started, and and the media, so the media just kind of went along with it and said, okay, this is U.S. policy to support this. And then secondly, you know, it's it's brown people killing brown people in another part of the world. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> but there doesn't seem to be the same outrage. Uh, exactly. I guess that's guided by the media to a certain extent. Uh, I saw a documentary during the Trump campaign regarding his campaign from Al Jazeera. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al Jazeera, I believe they have a couple of different uh, 
divisions. But they explained exactly how he patterned his campaign after how he runs the Celebrity Apprentice. It doesn't have to be true. It doesn't have to be uh, right. It just has to be loud. Right. And, and, and flashy. And it has, it has to have a hook. And you have to have suspense. And I mean, he, you're absolutely right. Uh, General Electric spent or uh, uh, NBC, I guess. Uh, well, I think GE owned NBC back then. Um, they spent millions training him on how to do it. I mean, he went through class. They, had, they, they hired tutors for Donald Trump to teach him how to be a reality TV star. And that's how he's being... Uh, Just like with Ronnie leader. Reagan. Yeah, exactly. But uh, he's galvanized his mob, and that hasn't changed. And so I wonder if the approach to pointing these things out is doing anything except making them a more solid unit where Democrats are fractionalized and aren't likely to... Uh, pull together enough to, to beat them. I, th- uh, I, think, uh, I think Trump, as, as increasingly people learn, you know, the, the, the horrors, the, 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 just the, you know, that he tried to overturn our government. Uh, as that becomes more conventional wisdom, I think you're going to see Trump just vanish. George in Chicago. Hey, George. Uh, thanks for waiting uh, on hold. What's on your mind today? Oh, a whole lot. <laughs> it's good to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, I called a couple of weeks ago and left a slogan because I think that we're like, we have to concentrate these thoughts that we have to, like the Republicans always use some kind of slogan to to shoot their programs. So like the last time I, I gave you one that was on Ukraine, we all must fight to stop fighting wars. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Now this one I... I, I I did for the women because I think that that we we sort of split up women like we got to go for the black women or we got to go for the educated. This this uh, slogan says like the democratic policies will cover all women and the men that love them. Sweet. I like that. I thought you would. And, I like and this, I've been gifted. I'm a poet. I, I write poetry, and and I saw my poetry has been speaking towards the woke. Yeah. You dig? I, I mean, this has been happening since the '60s, and that's why I'm so upset with the way they're handling these words. Like the woke is like the hip, the, those who are, are hip to the the top of the jazz music and the top of uh, what's happening in the arts. And and I think you're one, I know that you're one of these people, so please take this, because I'm an 81-year-old man and I'm not attached to the... to the internet and i wish you could take these thoughts that i have i love them george i'll do it i love your slogans george thank you thank you very much and 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 keep calling brian in tacoma washington hey brian what's on your mind today hey you had a guy a half hour ago or so that you called the sensible conservative um Mm And he was basically saying that, like, that there's two sides in this country. One, you know, the- believes in theology, or and one believes in secular kind of thing, and one, believe, you know, yeah. uh, conservative versus liberal. And he was saying that basically, like, one thinks that religion can solve all your problems, basically, and one thinks that the government can solve all your problems. And it's just so frustratingly trying to compare to me, uh, you know, apples to oranges, and he, he's pretending it's apples to apples. 
like, I don't think most liberals think that government will solve all your problems and it always works wonderfully. We just think that if you have to choose between getting things done, is it unrestricted capitalism that's going to have a chance of having fa- a fair, equitable society or is it government? Yeah, he completely missed neoliberalism, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah I the, mean, it's the theory that the market will solve all your problems. It's the constant conservative to go like, well, both sides. You know, it's just both sides. One side thinks this, one side thinks the other. But his argument was totally apples to oranges. It wasn't apples to apples. I'm a liberal. I think the government works horribly inefficiently. I usually don't like it, but I understand I'm an adult, so I understand we need it. And our best chance of solving problems is through our own voting and democracy and representation. It's not unrestricted capitalism by any means. Right. Or the church or a theocracy. Yeah. Or, or theocracy, right. Yeah. yeah, either of those two forces, which are the, on the quote-unquote conservative side. There's nothing conservative about Donald Trump's party anymore. Nothing no. conservative. We, no. That, that word needs to end, actually. But, okay, so that's... I think the I word has been reinvented. I, I, I think that what's happening is the... Um, because I'm, I'm, I'm not even seeing... Well, occasionally, I was thinking of, uh, like, uh, Jennifer Rubin, you know, who, who has always been a... Basically, a, a Republican uh, shill is too strong a word because she's right up front about it. Um, but, she, you know, she's a conservative columnist for, as I recall, The Washington Post. Maybe it's The Times. And, uh, you know, for years and years, she would always echo and parrot the Republican talking points. She has stopped doing that. And, but I think she's still calling herself a conservative. Yeah, but the party leaders who have the voting power don't vote that way. So, I mean, no. I, I yeah, agree right. with you, but... You know, so I think, anyways, I think people are increasingly seeing that conservative means neo-fascist. Yeah, I'm just tired of the uh, like the both sidesism when it's not equal necessarily. And I never speak in 100 percent, zero percent, but it's not it's not equal. It's you know it, in well, and everybody not, always yeah. is looking. Everybody always here. I'm doing it now. These generalizations, <laughs> but you know, people frequently yeah. are looking for binary choices. You know, binary choices yeah. are, are much easier than than multiple choices, and yeah. and, uh, and and particularly if the binary choices are are cast in you know light and dark as good and evil, and yeah. uh, and reality doesn't work that way. In fact, I would argue, Brian, that there's a fourth element here that is being missed in in both of our conversations. It's not just the choice between theocracy, government, or the marketplace. There's a fourth element, and that's society. That's the non-political, non-governmental society, the, the, the general opinions that are being held by society and culture. And as culture shifts, all those other things shift. And I think that probably the best example of that is, is the history of what's happened in the Middle East and how we almost got a culture shift in Afghanistan. And then, you know, the old culture came back in and ate it. Um, you know, the, the girls could go to school, for example. You know, that, yeah. those kinds of things. There's others, maybe there's more than four. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.